Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today we are finishing uh, our message series, Life on Mission. All month long we have been exploring this passage in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus had, uh, just before he ascended to heaven... Jesus had a conversation with his disciples, and it was this this moment where he was saying, okay, now that I'm going away, I have something for you to do until I return, and so it's this thing called the Great Commission that we're going to read together. It's in Matthew chapter 28. If you have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out. Um, We're going to read it together, But and it is this mission that was essentially, this is what I want you to do with your time until I return. And so that extends to us today. And so we've been exploring that. And so let's read it here, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20 through 20. And it'll also be on the screen for you as well. And this is what it says. Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this month, we have been exploring this idea of what does it mean to live a life on mission. This is the mission that we've been given, but what does it mean to, to, to participate? How can we be a part of this? What is it like to do that? And so we've been talking about this idea of life on mission. What does it mean to live that life on mission? So we talked about in our first week about the mission that we, that this thing that God wants everyone to know him and he's called us to participate. And then we talked about our story and how when we tell our story to people, When we connect God's story to our story, what we're doing is we give people a chance to meet the God that we know when we share our story with them. And then last week we talked about the importance of relationship in the life on mission and that we best reflect God's character when we intentionally build relationships with those around us. So we've been kind of saying that this idea of life on mission is not just the specific moments when you tell people about Jesus, but that we can do it in a natural sense if we understand that we need to be intentional about living the life on mission but that we can do it best by having relationships with people who either do or do not know who God is, and then sharing our story, sharing our lives with them. But today, particularly, I want to wrap up the series and pull everything together with one last practical element of the life on mission, and that is this idea of the invitation. So we talked about the mission, the story, we talked about the relationship, and today we're talking about the invitation. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually read out of John chapter 1, and we're going to read almost the entire chapter. It's a bunch of scripture today, but we're actually going to see that an invitation is modeled, and this whole thing we've been talking about is modeled through it. But what is the important about invitation? Why, why is an invitation so important? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you remember that feeling that you got when you were a kid and you got a birthday invitation to a friend's party? You remember that feeling when like, you were a little kid and you, would, you got an invitation to like your best friend's birthday party? Or maybe, maybe as adults, think of it this way, like uh, maybe when you were asked out on a date, how did you feel when you were invited to go out? Or maybe when you got something like uh, an invitation to a wedding in the mail or uh, an invitation to some kind of special event, right? When you get those invitations, usually you feel excited because you're, you're being invited to something that's important, that's an exciting event, and it inspires like excitement inside of you. Or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe, maybe there's a painful memory. 
of expecting an invitation for something but not receiving it. I've, I've been in that space. Has anybody here ever been in this space where you thought maybe you'd be invited to something, but then you didn't receive the invitation? How do you feel about that? It's hurtful, right? It feels there is all sorts of pain that comes with that. I think we appreciate being invited to events. And part of the reason is because invitations help us to feel valued. We know that when I receive an invitation that somebody was thinking about me. Somebody was thinking about us. They were thinking about how, how I want you to be here. An invitation speaks to more than just the event. It speaks to, I think, that it would be good for you to be present to this thing, that you could add value to this thing. But also what happens to us when we don't get invitations is that oftentimes we feel lonely. We can feel isolated. We can feel devalued. We feel forgotten. So the importance of an invitation is that, is that it expresses something to us. And there's a value to it that teaches us that, that there is something that is important to be a part of. And when we receive those invitations, it expresses that value to individuals. And did you know that most of the gospel is really surrounding this concept of an invitation? The gospel story is really an invitation story. What do I mean by that? It is an invitation for the entire world to know that it is loved and that there is a family waiting for them. If we are going to go into the, to the party concept or the invitation theme, that God is throwing a party that will last throughout eternity, and the gospel is the invitation for that party. And so all month long, we have been talking about this idea of this mission, this great commission, this life on mission. And we've been talking about how we can participate by telling our story and being present in people's lives and intentional about relationships and using those moments in relationship to share aspects of your story or aspects of who you are and then telling people how God has impacted into those spaces. And that is such a natural way to communicate the gospel because it comes from a place of experience. But we're going to read now John chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 if you want to open your Bibles. It will also be on the screen. And we have free Bibles here with you, by the way. We have them in the front as well as at the Connection Center. Do not leave without a Bible if you don't have one. We believe that the Bible is the primary way that God has chosen to help us know who he is and what he is like. And so we teach out of it because the principles are found in there that we believe that God has put there for us to know who he is. So we're going to be reading in John chapter 1, and we're going to see this pattern that actually brings the whole series together. And I think it's actually going to be really interesting for us. But before we begin reading in John 1, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. We're going to hear right away about this dude named John the Baptist. How many of you have ever heard of the name John the Baptist? So John the Baptist was a guy who actually was the cousin of Jesus, and he uh, was a really weird dude. He was actually living in the desert, and he was eating bugs. And he was wearing camel skin, like, which was not normal for the time. And he came out into a, from a remote place and came to the river and started yelling and telling people that the Messiah is coming. So the Messiah in, Jewish, in the Jewish world was the, the Saint Vir, the anointed one. It was the one who they were waiting for who was to come to save not just them, but really to save the whole world. It was this one person who was prophesied in their ancient scriptures. And so John the Baptist was coming and saying, prepare the way, prepare your hearts because this guy is here. He's about to get here. Get your hearts ready because he is coming. That was his job. He was paving the way for him. And he was baptizing people in the Jordan River in water as a cleansing ritual, as a ceremonial ritual to cleanse their hearts so that when they met the Messiah, they would be ready. That was the idea, okay? So what happens is, is that we meet John in John chapter 1, and this is where we pick up in verse 19. It says, this was John's testimony 
when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? So they're like confronted with this guy who looks totally different than them. They, these guys were in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem at the time in Israel was like New York City in Israel. It was the place of commerce. It was the place of, um, of, of social uh, context. It was progressive Judaism. It was, it was the place where all the ideas were coming from at the time in that region of the world. So they would, whatever the fashion sense was at the time, whatever the, the way you carried yourself, the way that you talked, the dialect, the lingo, all of that was from Jerusalem. So now they see this guy who comes from like rural bumpkin kind of land, right? That's what you would think of. He was out from a remote place and he walks in and he's, he's wearing clothes that look completely different. So they sent people to say, who are you? Why are you saying this message and what are you doing? So this is what he says in verse 20. He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. So I know that everybody's looking for this guy. I'm not him. Well, then they said, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Which was like a famous prophet. Are you like a, 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 a new version of Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not him. Are you the prophet? Like they're trying to get, who are you? He says, no, I'm not. Well, who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And now he takes a moment and he quotes scripture out of Isaiah chapter 40. And he says, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now that verse right there is essentially saying, Roll out the red carpet. That's your job. Roll out the red carpet because the Messiah is coming. Your job is to put a spotlight on the carpet and let them know that they're coming. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the religious leaders of the time. So they asked him, well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? Like, what business do you have doing a religious ceremony? That's what he was basically saying. If you're no one, why, who gives you the right to baptize someone? In verse 26, he says, I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone, though, stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal straps I am not even worthy to untie. And all of this happened in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Now, we're going to pause here for a second and just tell you, John understood what his mission was. It was very clear to him that his job was to, was to exist at the time when the Messiah was coming and would reveal himself. And this is 400 years since the last time any prophet had shown up. So when you read the book of Matthew, and the one right before it is Malachi, if you, if you, if you kind of open your Bibles and you look at the table of contents, or you flip to about halfway through, you'll find Malachi. That's the end of the Old Testament. And then Matthew just starts, right? And you think that it just all happens the next day. But that's not the case. What actually happened was 400 years went by, and the Jewish people whose life was wrapped up in these scriptures We're waiting. Where are you, God? You said you're coming. I think we all can understand that. Where are you, God? Where are you? Why why are you? I'm crying out for you, and I feel like you're not here. I feel like you have not not met me. I feel like you've not answered my prayers. This is what the Jewish people were saying. This is what the Jewish people were saying. And then John shows up and says, he's almost here. John understood his message. He understood his mission. So the next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I told you about. After, he, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. He said, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. This is interesting to me is that John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. 
He just thought he was some dude. Like, he thought he was a family member, you know? Like, I just thought that was interesting. He says, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. The only thing that John knew was his mission. His job was, well, I have to baptize in water because when I do that, the Messiah will come. That's what he was told by God. Like, that's what the scriptures foretold, and he knew that. So he said he did that. And then John testified, verse 32, I saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on Jesus. And he says again, I didn't know who he was, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me that when you see the one who the Spirit descends on, he is the one who will now baptize with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a whole bunch of kind of like religious imagery and jargon that's hard to understand, right? So really all that's happening here is that John grew up knowing that he was this special person whose job it was that one day he would get to point people and say, that's the Messiah. That was his job. And so how did he know who the Messiah was? The Spirit of God inside of him said, when you see a person, when, I, when you can visibly see the Spirit of God descending on him, that's the dude I want you to point out. That's literally what he just said. So one day he was baptizing in water, and we see in another passage of Scripture in like Mark or in, in Matthew and in Luke, we see Jesus being baptized by John, and then it says that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. We don't know if it was actually a dove or if it was a picture of a dove or if it was just like doves kind of fall down. We don't know that. But the point is, is that John saw this thing and immediately he knew. He knew what was happening. And he says, I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. What was John doing here? John was telling his story. He was just telling the story of what just happened to him and what he was there for. He understood his mission. He told people what it was. He was about his business. And then when the time came, he said, let me tell you what happened to me and why? And wow, check this out. This is the dude. This is the one that I was telling you about. He was telling his story. So then verse 35 says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, guys, guys, look, look, look. There he is. There's the Lamb of God, the one that I was telling you about. This is the relationship. John didn't just do his own thing. He had a bunch of followers, people who were so excited about what John was to do that he had a relationship with them. Now watch what happens next in verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and then followed Jesus. They followed because they respected what John said, right? This is like a recommendation to a restaurant or buying a gift or something for someone. You ask your friends or your friends tell you something that's important. You trust them because you have a relationship with them. And then you do what they say. This is what happened here. John said, that's the one I was telling you about. And then scripture says, they heard John say that and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? That's an interesting question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And I love this. Come and see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they came with him that day, and it was about four in the afternoon. Interesting, right? Let's read that again. So they walk to Jesus, and they go, hey. Jesus turns around and notices they've got two guys following him that he doesn't know who they are, and then says, what are you looking for? Like he engages them in a conversation. They say, where are you staying? You know, we'd, we don't really know you. We'd like to little bit, learn a little bit more about who you are. And Jesus, instead of saying, well, let me sit down with you and tell you what I believe, let me, instead of, uh, instead of taking a moment to, to tell him, well, listen, this is what I'm here for. This is my mission. This is my job. And you need to understand it. You need to believe it. He doesn't say any of that. What does he do? He invites them into this moment of, well, come and see for yourself, right? I love the uh, concept of an invitation from Jesus. The model that we see from Jesus is just come and see. Like, I could tell you 
you probably wouldn't believe me, so come and see for yourself. Now watch the sequence of events in these next passages and keep in mind the mission, the story, the relationship, all leading to invitation. So verse 40 now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John follow him. So John was with his friends. He said, that's the Messiah, go follow him. So Andrew was one of those guys who follows after Jesus. And so what he first did is he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So if you want to know what Jesus Christ means, Christ is not his last name. Jesus Christ, Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what Christ, Messiah, same word. It means that he is the one, okay? And he brought Simon to Jesus. Do you see what happened there? Andrew found his brother Simon Peter and told him what he had found and then brings him to Jesus. This is a story within the context of relationships that leads to an invitation. Do you see how that happened? Simon or Andrew found something. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. He runs and tells his brother and says, you've got to see this. Come and see for yourself. And then it says, when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon. Son of John, and you will now be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. Now, this is a, an interesting spot to just put this, right? But here's what I love about this. This is what Jesus does all the time. Jesus changes people's names. We see it all throughout Scripture, actually. Abram was changed into Abraham. Sarai was changed into Sarah. Jacob was changed into Israel. We see it all the time in the Old Testament. Why? Why does it matter that his name was changed? It's because it's an identity issue. This is important to understand. This is hard for us to understand as Americans because when we give our kids names, we don't really name them things that mean anything or that there's a destiny attached to it. Sometimes we do. As Christians, we try to find a little bit of this. Like we do baby dedications and we ask, what does the name mean? And parents have thought through, oh, it means light or it means hope or it means, you know, salvation. Or, and those are good things, right? But in the Old Testament or in Jewish culture and even in culture in general at the time, names were extremely important because what they would do is they would give them a name based oftentimes on a circumstance circumstance that was happening. So like, imagine for a second if you had twins, and they both were born, and the first one you named, like, you named something that meant firstborn inheritance, gonna get everything, blessed of the world, but your second born, you were like, oh, well, you're second, so you're kind of like under your brother's foot all your life. That's what you would name your kid. That's what happened. That's what happened in the Bible, is they would name their children based on the circumstances that were surrounding them, or sometimes, occasionally, they would name their kid after something that they wanted or hoped for, and it was an identity they would carry. If the, but this is interesting, because sometimes they would name their child after a painful moment, and then they would name their kid something that represented it. So if they had a hard childbirth, or maybe they were sorrowful because they lost their husband in the process, or maybe the mom died in the process, they would name their baby sorrowful sorrow, like a word that would mean sorrow. And so this kid, imagine that. Imagine your child growing up with a name attached to them that means something. Like how would you not attach that to your value or to your being that if every day you were called a negative thing, right? So what Jesus is doing here is not just going, oh, I don't like your name. I'm going to call you something else. It's not like a nickname. When he says, I'm going to change your name, you are called Cephas, which means rock. What Jesus was saying to him is, is I'm giving you an identity. You think that you're just some, some dude, some guy. You think that your job entire life is to get up in the morning, get onto a boat and fish, catch as many as possible, sell it, make no money, get up and do it all over again just so that you can scratch out a living every day. That's what you think your life is. And how many of us feel that way? You don't have to raise your hands. 
Like, I understand this feeling. Or maybe you grew up and you had experiences in your life that have caused you to feel like my name is Jared, but what I really feel like my name is is broken. I feel like my name is lonely. I feel like my name is insecure. I feel like my name is mistake. I feel like my name is whatever a myriad of things are that you or I have been told that you are, either what you've done to yourself or what people have done to you. And the importance of this moment that I think why Jesus puts this in Scripture, right here, he meets Peter. I think that he looks at him and he says, your name is not what you think it is. You are called rock. I'm going to use you as a rock. And what we know is that Peter becomes the foundation of the church that we know of it as. This is huge for us to understand that when Jesus meets people, this is a symbol for what happens for every time someone ever meets Jesus. When he meets them, he doesn't look at them and go, oh, well, you can be in my, like, seventh place uh, family. No, no, like, you are seated at the table with him because he looks at you and says, I don't care what you've done, where you've come from, what you think you are. You are my son, and I love you. I love you. I, I would die on that cross just for you, just for you. And he tells the story of the parable of the lost sheep. He says, I have, nine, I have 100 sheep, and 99 of them are here, but one got lost. And that shepherd would go. That's the story that he told to tell about how God loves humanity. And so if you're that one, when he looks at Peter or he looks at you or anything, he changes your identity and says, this is not who you are anymore. I see you through the lens of someone who would give his life for you. I'm searching for you. I'm sending people after you. I'm coming for you. I want you to know that I want a relationship with you. And you have a new identity. The Bible says you have a new creation. You become a new person, a new creation when you receive Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of when you meet Jesus. And so this is one little moment where he like, and this is what happened was that it all all happened because of a relationship and a story and an invitation. Andrew was just told by his, his master, John the Baptist, that's the guy, go get him. And so he runs after him and he goes, oh my gosh, it's so great. And he brings his brother who is out on a boat and says, you got to come now, run, pulls him, and then he meets him. And Peter, as soon as he meets him, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do in your life and changes everything about him. That's the power of what happens when you can meet Jesus. This is the power of invitation, invitation to new life and new identity in Christ. It's incredible. And then it continues. Verse 43 goes, the next day, it's like as if nothing happened. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. There's a lot of like little things in here that it's just important to understand. Jerusalem was in the south, okay? About 30 miles north, maybe even more than that, is Galilee. Galilee is a different region. So Jerusalem would be like Pittsburgh, and then Galilee would be like Butler. Okay, you're out in the country now. You're, you're in, in a different space, not anywhere near. So the people are going to be different, towns are going to be different, everything is different. So Jesus decided he wanted to leave and go there, and then he found Philip and told him, follow me. Another invitation. Jesus is modeling the approach, giving an opportunity to experience something. Follow me sounds like a command, but he didn't have to go. Verse 44. This is so interesting. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. So apparently they knew him. Philip frowned Nathaniel. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the patterns? It's like they're excited about something, so then they just find people to talk to about it. And he goes, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, this guy, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And then, and then we get a turn in the story, and he goes, um, I'm sorry, what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. This is like, this would be like, I mean, no offense to anyone from Butler, this would be like, like, what? I'm sorry, the coolest, most hip, the most world-changing things coming out of Butler? 
Are you kidding me? Like, that's what people would think. That's what happened here, right? So Philip is so excited because he found the Messiah, and he's jumping up and down, and he's excited about it. And he's like, and it's Jesus from Butler. And he's like, what? This is what he says. But what does Jesus say? Come and see. I think that's so interesting. This is like us. And many of us have a problem or have a fear, and they're very real thoughts and very real feels. We have, we have friends, people that we want to tell, tell people about Jesus. We want them to know that we are Christians because we have experienced them. You're not here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't, if you didn't, you didn't believe that, right? So you want people to experience what you have experienced, and yet there is this feeling of, but when I try to tell my friends, or if I even try, if I want to try to tell my friends or help them experience it, I don't know what to say. And I feel like they're going to think I'm a wacko or that I'm a weirdo because I believe in this Jesus guy who is up in heaven and apparently like floated up without a jet pack or something. And some, like, I understand the idea that it feels weird, especially in the era that we are in. We live in a time where science is religion, where everything that is explainable or where everything is logical or it's analyzed. And if you can't see it, if you can't measure it, if you can't quantify it, that somehow that means it's not true. And that religion and faith is this archaic, backwards, irrelevant thing. This is the world that we live in, particularly in America and mostly in the city where we all live. That is the mentality. So you have friends and you've experienced something and you want them to know. I, no, seriously, I want you to know that Jesus has like changed my life. I found hope. I found peace. I found like something different. When I follow the principles in the scriptures, my life acts a different way and, it, and things go the way they're supposed to, which is what the Bible says, so I keep doing it. Like this person, Jesus, is real. And you want them to know that, but then you feel like someone's going to say to you, are you kidding me? Can anything possibly good come out of religion? Like, that's kind of the question here. Like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's like, are you serious? Like, can anything relevant come out of Christianity? Could anything possibly come out of faith in, like, in that? Like, no, all I know that church is is judgmental. I think of molestation of boys. I think of, like, Donald Trump. I think of, uh, I think of the, the people in the political scheme who are evangelicals who are being accused of, like, of, uh, of molesting or, like, sexual assault over, over kids and, or different, like, ages or who are under the age. And then they have pastors rising up and saying, well, it's for the sake of the gospel. No, like, I understand I understand why people look at the church, they look at me, or they look at you, and they think, like, why would I want anything to do with that? And how could, how could, how could anything good come out of going to church? How could anything good come out of a faith or a religion that all I see is that junk? I understand. And you can't convince, and that's the thing, is you want to sit down. I want to sit down. This is my personality. I want to sit down, and I want to say, well, let's talk about it. Let me help you work through this, because I can engage with you in that space. But here's the reality. You cannot convince anybody of anything, just like whoever led you to Christ probably is not responsible. They may be planted a seed, but the Bible is clear that God makes the seed grow. So someone can... You, I don't know, like how many years in a row did my mom and my dad tell me that I was doing on the wrong road? I wasn't going to listen to them. I was not going to listen to them. So what does Jesus do? He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. They ask questions. They've got all sorts of, all sorts of uh, stereotypes and, and thoughts about it. Don't put the pressure on yourself. 
to be the one to save people's souls. The invitation is what's important. It's saying, come and see for yourself. You can experience something that I have experienced, but I can't tell you there are not words to really put into, 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 in my mouth to explain to you what has happened to me when I've met Jesus. Come and see for yourself. The power of invitation. And when we model what we see from Jesus, we just need to offer the invitation to come and see. And so the big idea today is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. When we invite people to come and see for themselves, we remove the pressure from our shoulders and we place it on Jesus. When we invite people to come and see for themselves, we remove the pressure from our shoulders and we place it on Jesus. Now, I want to give an illustration before we close out today, and that is the importance of invitation. Most of us live on, on social media or we have social media accounts and we're engaged in them or at least we're familiar with what they are. Facebook events have become extremely popular. I can't go a single day without seeing events pass by. Someone is interested in this event. Someone is going to that event. Someone invited you to an event, um, you know, those kinds of things. Or, hey, there's an event happening nearby. Like, that happens all the time on Facebook. But imagine for a second that you created an event, that you're really excited Oh, man, I'm going to have this, this bonfire in my backyard. I'm so excited to have people over. I'm going to buy a bunch of hot dogs. I'm going to get some hamburgers. I'm going to get some lettuce patties for those who don't eat bread. And I'm going to, you know, get, like, corn. And I'm going to get, like, all sorts of cool vegetables. And we're going to have music playing. I'm going to, it's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. And you create an event, and you put the date on there, and you put the details on there. And you have a picture, a nice, you search on the Internet for the perfect cover photo for your Facebook event, and you're really excited about it, and then you wonder why anybody isn't coming. Why isn't anybody responding to it? Because maybe you forgot to invite people to come to your event. Like, have you ever had that? It's actually happened to me. I forgot to actually invite people, you know? Like, you can create an event, and it'll say, Jared, created an event, and this is kind of what it's like. So follow me on this for a second. If we're Christians, and we want people to know about Jesus, a lot of our friends know we're Christians, right? Most of our friends are aware, and they might be like, oh, that's interesting. Jared's throwing a bonfire. Hmm. Cool, right? That's kind of the idea. And maybe there's someone that I think should already know that they're invited. Of course you're invited to my party. Of course. Well, I didn't receive an invitation. You know, I'm not just going to show up to someone's house for an event that I didn't know I was invited for. So when we have this this, this space in our life where we have relationships, where we know that there is a mission that we're all to be a part of. We even want our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and, our, and the world to know who Jesus is and to come into our family, this thing we've experienced. We want that, but we cannot take for granted that they know that they're invited to the party. Like there has to be a space where we tell them, hey, listen, just come and see for yourself. And that's particularly valuable for those of us who have friends who, who are skeptical. People who don't know what they think or may even think it's kind of silly, but they have seen something in you. Why do you go to church and you want to engage them in a conversation? Because, man, I found something that I can't explain. Like, I, I know it probably sounds weird to you, you know, and they're going to be like, okay, that, that's, that does sound weird to me. But you know what? Like, that's cool for you. That's kind of how those conversations usually end. Instead, we need to take it a step further. What we see modeled in Jesus and what we see in these other individuals is they say, come and see for yourself. I'm not telling you you have to believe anything, but I'm telling you what I have experienced and I can't get it anywhere else. Come and see for yourself. 
that's the model that we have seen here. You're invited, my friend. I want you to experience what I have found. So the end game is the opportunity to meet Jesus, but start with looking for opportunities to invite. It could be simple things. Inviting people into conversation in your home, inviting them over for dinner, inviting opportunities for deeper relationships. Hey, listen, I'd love to get to know you better. I'd love to have you over for dinner and we could talk. I'd love to get to know you and your wife or your kids better. I'd love to go to events with you and invite them to things. Those are great opportunities to invite people into spaces like that. Opportunities to invite people to church. Hey, listen, I love my church. Man, I get something out of it every week. I would love, just come on out and see if you like it. Like that's the easiest way to invite people. Invite someone to your life group. Invite them to come and be a part of conversations and relationships. The things that you experience in Encounter Church are the perfect places for you to invite them to experience it themselves. Invite them to outreaches. Invite them to our events, to wherever we have. So to pull this whole series together, God sent Jesus to bring salvation to the world and he's inviting us to join them into, his relation, into this mission. And we can now share our story of how God has impacted us. And we can connect that story of how God has changed us and what he's doing in the world. We tell our story and people can understand what God is doing through our story. We can create context for those stories to make sense with people and for them to be told by building relationships with those who are around us. But most of all, we simply have to give people the opportunity to see for themselves. And we do that by inviting them to come and see. So I'd like to finish this morning by reading the last two verses of the passage that we've been studying this morning. This is what it says in verse 47. It says, Then Jesus saw Nathanael, the guy who was skeptical, coming toward him and said this about him. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael goes, How do you know who I am? And then he says, Before Philip even called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, And this is what I love. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray. I love this because I believe with all my heart that Jesus sees you even before you were called. I believe that Jesus is looking at your friend, the one that you think, I can't know how he'll ever walk into the doors of a church building. I believe that Jesus knows what your friend is going through. I believe that he hears his doubts or her her doubts, her cries for, for meaning and value in life. I believe that Jesus, because I believe who he is, and that's what he says he is, that just like this story is an example, why did he put that in there? It's because he knew that there were going to be skeptics. That someone would say, that guy is the one who changed my life. And people are going to go, that guy? I don't believe it. And he'd say, come and see for yourself. But on top of that, when he meets him, he says, I know what's going on in your life. That's the power of who God is. Jesus sees every person that you meet. He sees their pain. He sees their struggle. He sees their search. But just like Nathaniel, those people are waiting for an invitation to meet Jesus. Would you close your eyes with me? I'd like to give an opportunity for anyone to meet Jesus today. I want to give you an opportunity to come and see for yourself. So if there's someone in the room today who would just like to say, I I would like to meet him. I would like to know who Jesus is. And I would like to, to, to begin this process of following him, to see for myself. I'm just going to give you a second. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to move into our response time. So, you know, when you say yes to Jesus, what we're really saying is I'm not asking you to sign your life away. What I'm saying is if you want 
to receive that invitation, I'm inviting you. This is a moment for you right now. I'm inviting you to meet Jesus. I believe that he's in this room. The spirit of God is present here. And something happens. The Bible tells us that when we say, I believe in you, when you say, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk forward and experience who Jesus is, that he will meet you and he'll begin to change your life. So if there's anyone in the room, nobody's looking around, just slip your hand up real quick and I want to pray for you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Anyone else want to just say, I want to meet Jesus today. You can go ahead and put your hand back down. Anybody else? So, you know, I'm just going to lead in a prayer. If everybody wants to just kind of say it together, because we're all, we're all just, we're basically just saying that we are affirming that we believe who he is. And what's going to happen in that moment is the spirit of God the Bible tells us the Spirit of God comes inside of us and connects with our soul and re- rejuvenates our soul and gives us a direct line back to who God is, back to a relationship with Him. And from that place, you can now begin walking in the light. So let's just pray together. Jesus, I want to meet you. I want to know you. I accept your invitation today. Show me who you are, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, let's just keep our eyes closed, and we're going to respond together with one more prayer before we move into our response moment. Father, for, for those of us who do follow you, for those of us who have experienced you, I pray that you would help us to, to remember this series, that the things that have been said throughout this month about story and relationship and the mission, and even today about invitation, that that would sink into us, that you would help us to understand what you are asking of us and how you would like us to participate. I pray that it would become real to us, that we would have the courage to step out and to participate. We just ask that you would help us to see our neighbors and our family members and our friends our coworkers, the strangers on the bus, or as we walk down streets, as we travel to new cities, wherever we go, that we would see people, that we would have your heart, that there would be something in our heart that would, that would say, that, that, that's my child. That's like Nathaniel. I see that person and they're crying out. They're in pain. They're in need. They're looking, they're searching. And that we would have an inkling of it and that we would be someone who would extend a relationship, who would extend a story, who would give an invitation to come and see, to have a conversation with someone. We pray that we would have the courage to invite our friends to church, invite them here, knowing that this is a place of safety, a place of of where we'll just give them an opportunity and teach them to walk and experience for themselves. So as we move into our response time, God, we pray this would be a moment with just, with individuals, you and I, that we would would meet with you, we would hear from you and respond to you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.